So turn again to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And today we come to the first petition in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. And we're looking at verse 9. And the first petition is, Hallowed be thy name. Over the past weeks we've been considering the preface, the, the introductory part to the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven. And we stop to consider the mercy that is written into that opening statement. And what a mercy it is that you and I can say, we have a heavenly Father. We have a heavenly Father. And we can call him our Father. And the greatest privilege that you have today, and the greatest privilege that I have today, is that I can call God my heavenly Father. What a blessing that is. And what hope and assurance and comfort that gives to us. But also there's just not mercy here. There is majesty here. Because we not only have a heavenly father. But it tells us where he dwells. We have a father who dwells in heaven. He transcends all of the boundaries of men. He fills all of the immensity of time and space. He never had a beginning. He never had an ending. No one can limit his power or can say unto him, What doest thou? We have a heavenly father. A father, that's mercy. A heavenly father, that's majesty. And we can draw nigh to him in prayer. And we can say with assurance, Our father which art in heaven. And then we come to the the petitions. That are outlined in the Lord's Prayer. Now there's a little debate here amongst theologians. Whether there's six or whether there's seven petitions. You know I've never believed that I was smart enough to reinvent the wheel. So I'll just go with what we have in the confession of faith. And there are six petitions there that are outlined to us. In the shorter catechism. And I'll tell you how they get the seventh. Because they divide the last into two Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So it's a minor point. It's not a a fundamental point of doctrine, but we'll come to that by and by. So the first petition is, hallowed be thy name. And then we come to, thy kingdom come. And then we come to, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the, the last three petitions are, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Now notice the order that these petitions come in. The first three petitions all have reference to God. They all have reference to God and to his glory. And the last three have reference to the need of the church And their own personal needs. Sometimes people when they come to pray. It's like going out to Tesco or Asda or wherever. And they have a long shopping list. And they just come into God's presence. And they tick off the things that they want. That and that and that and that and the other. So it's a tick box exercise. And then they say they've prayed. But as we come to the Lord's Prayer. And the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. We notice a very different order. And a very different concept. So prayer 
First of all, it's all about God before it's all about you or me. Remember that. In the first three petitions, we have the word thy. Thy. So this is the, the lovely old uh, reference to, to God. And it's only after we come to thy kingdom come, we come to the us. The us. In the latter three parts of the prayer. Notice not only the order of the petitions, but notice the proportions in the petitions. Remember, half of them regard God. Half of them deal with their own particular needs. And whenever you're in a prayer meeting and people are just praying about somebody who's sick, someone who needs this, someone who needs that or or the other, the prayer meeting is all out of proportion. Because when we start off a prayer meeting, it should be about God, his glory, his honour, his name, the honouring, the magnifying, the uplifting, the, the revering the name of the Lord. So there are many lessons here that we glean, even just as an overview in the Lord's Prayer. And it doesn't matter what our condition is. It doesn't matter what our desires are. We should never start off with ourselves. When we come to our petitions, we should never start off with ourselves. Even our concern for the lost. And that's pretty primary, isn't it? Even our concern for the lost does not come before the glory of God. That's a vital point. God and God's glory comes first. And don't allow your circumstances, no matter how desperate your circumstances may be, to divert you from this divine order, because this is God's order. And the principle, of course, should not only govern our prayer life, it should govern our pilgrim life. As pilgrims bound for heaven, it's not all about me. It's about God. It's about his honour. It's about you and I carrying his name into a lost world. It's about you and I magnifying his name and spreading his name abroad in this world. Remember, it's not about you. It's all about him. That's the divine order. When we understand the principle, I think then we come to put the practice into reality. And here really is where all of the hard work starts. We start off by invocation. Hallowed be thy name. And when we start off in such a manner, then how different I think the rest of our praying and our prayers ought to be. The Shorter Catechism outlines it like this. What do we pray for in the first petition? In the first petition, which is hallowed be thy name, we pray that God would enable us and others to glorify him in all that whereby he maketh himself known and that he would dispose all things to his own glory. So very briefly today, because I know now uh, there will be those in the meeting and you'll want to go down to Newcastle. We're going to look at this opening petition and we're going to just break it down very simply this morning. First of all, let's consider how it teaches us respect and reverence in coming into God's presence. That's the hallmark of evangelical worship. The hallmark of all evangelical worship is 
reverential worship. And nowhere is that seen more than in the place of prayer. Prayer is an amazing privilege, of course, which God has bestowed upon his people. And we wouldn't want to underestimate that. We have ready access to God. That's amazing, isn't it? Any time, any place, any circumstances. Coming up to this election, you will have politicians from various parties coming to your door. And I want to tell you, you'll never see them again for the next four to five years or until you see the next election. And you'll not have ready access to them. And there will be people who will invest all of their time, their energy and, and their ability to get those people re-elected again. That they'll only see occasionally and they, you'll only see them when basically they're looking your vote. But here we have access to God anytime, any place. He's available without appointment. You don't have to phone up the constituency office and make an appointment. He's available at any time. And you can spend as much time with him as you want to. I have gone to visit people. I've had appointments with various places. Nowadays, I'm sure you are the same as me. If you go to the doctor, you're nearly nervous. Uh, because you don't want to take up too much of his time. Uh, and I am sure... The local doctors here don't want to convey it in such manner. But we're always conscious that there's a, there's, a waiting, there's a waiting room full of people. And they're waiting to see them. There's only a limited time. They have as humanly be impossible any other way. But God is all the time you want to spend with them. What blessings God bestows upon his people. And yet there are many and they've taken those blessings and they have... Uh, converted them into the unthinkable. And the unthinkable is that they come in an irreverent manner into God's presence. And as we've talked about in the past few weeks, that spirit of informality. Now, I am not one to stand on formality, but when it comes to worship, I believe worship should be formal. It should be reverential. It should be respectful. When it's all about God, when it's all about him, it has to be formal. It has to be reverential. It has to be respectful. So I think this is a whole check on the lack of the reverence of our day. Even as we come to pray, we stop. And at the very outset, we hallow the name of the Lord. We are approaching God in a respectful manner. And I think this is the best antidote to that spirit of presumption and that a lack of respect, that lack of reverence that characterizes the age that we live in. We're no less welcome. I want you to know that. We're no less welcome. But we come reverently and we come humbly into the presence of God. Sometimes when things are free, we, we fail to appreciate their value. When somebody has to work for something, they really appreciate it. They will look after it. They will care for it. If you have to pay for it, you will look after it because you'll not want to go back and pay for it all over again. And that is people the world over. And I, I think because we freely come into the presence of God, we forget, just even for the moment, we forget 
the huge price that was paid for that freedom. Do you know who paid the price for that freedom? It was God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a price he paid. He, and he paid it in the royal coinage of heaven, his own precious shed blood, that you and I could freely enter into the presence of Almighty God. I want you to realise that every time you come into the presence of God and we come freely, we come freely into the presence of God, but it's all because Jesus paid everything that he had so that you and I could come freely. What a blessing. Christ paid the ransom price so that you and I could freely enter in. Let's not take it for granted. We're continually taught to show respect and reverence by hallowing God's name. And I think this is the way we're to maintain that reverence and to maintain that respect. That's why I think it's an imperative that the boys and girls should be taught this prayer. Parents, teach this prayer to your children at home. Say it with them, with the children at home. Make sure that they know into whose presence that they're coming. We should never just rush in and rush out of the presence of God. There are people who do that and they rush into church and they rush out of church and uh, we're not here to do that. We're here to rehearse the goodness of God. We're here to retell the glory of God. We're here to hallow his name. Pride and presumption, it's dealt a death blow if we hallow the name of the Lord. It's really, pride is really put in the dust when we hallow the name of the Lord. So we're taught here, first of all, respect and reverence in coming into God's presence. Secondly, we're helped here to recognize God's attributes. When we hallow the name of God, what, what are we actually doing? What does it mean? What does this lovely old word mean, to hallow? Well, it can be variously translated, but some places it's translated sanctified. Something that's set aside for a sacred usage or for a sacred purpose. It has the meaning of being revered or to make a, and to keep for a sacred usage. Uh, and thus the term expresses the desire that God's name is reverenced, adored, and glorified. When we hallow God's name in prayer, we are very especially, we're setting it aside for a holy usage. Now there are some people, and they use the name of the Lord in a flippant way. In a flippant way. I have to say that. It's not used in a respectful way. And we ought not to use the, the name of the Lord in such a manner. I, I used to, in Kenya, always be unnerved every time I met people, Christian people. They thought it was a very good Christian greeting. They would say, Buona Sefiwe. And they'd met you in the street or in the supermarket, it was Buona Sefiwe. What's that? Well, it's praise the Lord. You'd think that's good to say that, wouldn't you? But not if it's the equivalent of saying hello to you, is it? That's not hallowing the name of the Lord. We're to, we're to not take that name rashly upon our lips, but we're to take it thoughtfully upon our lips. Let's, let's think upon the name that we're taking upon our lips. When we, when we use the name of the Lord, 
When the Jews used the word name to refer to God, they were not just, as it were, saying this is what God is called. They were speaking of who God was. It was God they were talking about, not just the name of the person. They were talking about the person. And so in the scriptures, the name of God stands for all that God is. So when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we are remembering all that God is. And when we stop to think that all of God is, we cannot uh, get away from the, the divine attributes of God. We think of some of the usages that are given to us. We often sing these psalms. Psalm 5. Let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. Because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name. Be joyful in thee. We can say today we love the name of God. Because we love God. And if we love God then we can be joyful in him. Psalm 20. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend thee. That's not some sort of magical potion. That is uh, uh, some sort of incantation that is given there. This is a reality. When we say the name of the God of Jacob defend you. We're saying all that God is in his power and his attributes. He defends his people. We read together from Exodus 34. If you go back there just a little bit. How did God reveal himself to, to Moses? This is one of the most amazing uh, revelations of God in the scriptures. And it tells us what Moses saw in the greatness and in the goodness of God. When the Lord proclaimed his name, what happened? Remember, this is who God is. The name is who God is. So Exodus 34 and 6. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, that is Jehovah, Jehovah God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. That will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Moses was brought face to face with the greatness, the goodness, the grace of God. What a revelation he got of God. The name means all that is true of God, all that has been revealed concerning God, it means God in all of his divine attributes. God in the Old Testament revealed himself to the children of Israel in various ways. Remember Moses at the burning bush. God revealed himself to Moses as the great I am. The great eternal, self-existent God. God doesn't need you or me. God doesn't need this world. God does not need creation. He existed before the worlds were ever brought into place and will exist when this world is no more. He's the great I am, the great eternal, the great eternal Lord. I, I love some of those names in the Old Testament that, that tell us something about God. One of the great names 
It's used repeatedly in the Old Testament as El or Elohim. And it just simply means strength. And it conveys to us the strength that God gives his people. We think of that name, Jehovah, the self-existent one. We, I, I love all those uh, compound names that are put together. So we have Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. We have Jehovah Rapha, the Lord which healeth. We have Jehovah Nissai, the Lord our banner. We have Jehovah Shalom, uh, the Lord our peace. We have Jehovah Raha, the Lord our shepherd. We have Jehovah Sekenyu, the Lord our righteousness. We have Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. He reveals himself in different ways. Some of you have got three or four names in your name. I have got three names in my name. Each one of those names tells me something about my background and who I am. So in a sense when we're talking about hallowing the name of God we are learning about who he is what he's doing and his great plan for his people. It's a recognition of the divine attributes a realisation of who we come to pray and to seek the face of. It is thirdly a statement of submission to God. When this petition is offered, we're, we're, we're praying, as with the words of the Catechism, that he would dispose all things to his own glory. Remember, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about his glory. And that God, by his providence and grace, would glorify himself. Hallowed be thy name. We're praying for the name of the Lord to be hallowed in on alone. Hallowed be thy name. For the name of the Lord to be glorified. God in his overruling providence in the affairs of men, he causes the ungodly to take note of that name. The Lord to take note of that name. We also pray that his name would be magnified in and through us. Now you and I, we can't add anything onto the name of the Lord. We can't add on to it. But rather we can promote it. We can promote it amongst men. And it should be the desire of every Christian in the gathering, every child of God, that by our life and through our lips, that the knowledge of the Most High God would be made known. I think of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in his great high priestly prayer. This is what he prayed. John 17 and verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Jesus Christ, in his earthly ministry, he manifested the Father's name. I wonder, oftentimes, how many people see the Lord's name through my life? How many see it through my life? I lament. I lament how few. But we have been put here to magnify the Lord. That's what we read in Psalm 34 at the opening of the meeting. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's what our collective worship is all about. It's not about how popular we are. In fact, popularity doesn't come into it at all. Or how pleasing we are to other people. I ought not to come into it at all. We're here to exalt his name. 
We're here to magnify and to honour his name. But then finally, consider with me some of the spiritual implications of this petition. <clears throat> uh, as we think of the hallowing of the name of the Lord, it should grieve our spirits to see that name disregarded in our land. How it should grieve us. It should grieve us to see his law trampled underfoot in our land. We're praying for his name to be hallowed and the world is trampling it under their feet. We need to confess that we have failed properly to magnify his name. How do we know that? Well, our sin today accuses us. I read in the book of Proverbs this week about the light, the candle that the Lord gives. And you know what that candle that the Lord gives? It's conscience. And he puts that light of conscience within us and it accuses us of our past failures. We have not magnified his name as we ought to. If we really understand this petitioner right, we would be before the Lord asking for grace to help us. Help me, Lord. Help me to magnify your name. We need a deeper knowledge of himself. There are people today, Christian people today, they don't want to know anything more than what they do know. They just want to come to church for the shortest time as possible. Get in as quick, get out as quick as possible. And they don't know the one that... They're professing to worship and to serve. And if you don't know him, how can you magnify him? How can you tell others about him? How can you live your life aright according to his ordinances and to his word and to his statutes? We need to increase in our knowledge of him. And let us do nothing that would grieve him. In Romans 2, 23, 24, we read that thou makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. Now that is an indictment upon the church today. As it was in the days of Paul, that the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles. Sin amongst the people of God brings reproach upon all of the church of God. Sin and backsliding brings blasphemy upon the name of the Lord. I was talking to a man just a few weeks ago here in Annalone, an unconverted man, and you unconverted people of long memories. And he was able to go back maybe 20 years ago to what some Christian had done. And it was the whole talk of the country, he said. Now, of course, he wasn't right in what he said and how he said it. But all of those years later, the sin of that individual still has been used to trample underfoot that holy name of the Lord. Oh, 
Hallowed be thy name. Let's not just lips it in a casual, offhand manner, but let us think very seriously about what we're praying and saying.